So another implication of this being an intense two weeks is uh, this teaching has got to be Jesus. <laughs> so let's just all lift up our voices and ask the Lord to teach us. Just all at the same time, let's go for it. And Lord, we really look to you. This is such the heart of, at the heart of our Give us ears to hear you, Lord. Amen. All right, so one of the things that made these two weeks intense was that I had to reconcile the Christ the Reconciler accounting books for our accountant to be able to file our taxes before the deadline. I don't like accounting. So this was stressful, and I were using QuickBooks Online, which is somewhat new, and I found myself continually pushing this button as each month came, the button that popped up, start reconciling. So after like the third or fourth time, I'm like, are you talking to me, Lord? So I put it out on Facebook, just as a little bit of a joke, because in the old days of AHOP, we used to joke about being a community, a, a simple community of day and night reconciliation of the books. <laughs> and Keith Blank responded. Now, Keith is a Mennonite bishop in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, who was at Wittenberg, and he's prophetic. He responded immediately and said, yes, see my email. So I looked and got his email, and I'm going to read you what he said. It's two emails, actually. He wrote, first one, yes, this is prophetic. This is your and Amy's calling, vocation and delight. And then he has a quote. The place God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. Continue forward, my friends, in your vocational anointing, standing with you with deep brotherly affection. So I wrote him back and told him a little bit about where we were at and that this teaching on reconciliation was coming up. And he wrote back and said, this really confirms much of what I was sensing as I read your Facebook post. I sensed this was a time and a season where the clarity and focus of your calling to reconciliation would be amplified. When I saw the word start reconciling, I immediately sensed in my spirit that something new is happening. Something is starting. Don't be surprised if some new insights about reconciliation blow your socks off as you walk this path. Be alert and open, my friend. Have a great day. Keith Blank, Overseer Bishop, Landisville, Maynard District of the Mennonite Church. Wow. Isn't that great? Mm-hmm. Praise the Lord. So we received that prophetic word, and we asked that it would be manifest among us today, but also going forward. So, building foundations. What we're doing now is building foundations. We're building foundations of community. And if you get the foundations right, the rest of the building is possible. Doesn't mean you're not going to get it that wrong. But it's possible. If you get the foundations wrong... You can build as much as you want on top of it, but eventually you're going to have to tear it down and start over. The foundations are crucial. So right now we're building foundations as a community for community. And this series is called Foundations of Community. So we're on number seven. The first five were started with the accuser of the brethren by... Caroline, it was Amy's teaching with Caroline and then Marisha. So the first five I think we're familiar with. And the first five teachings have really turned into in our community commitment, which you haven't seen yet, for good reasons. It's not quite baked. <laughs> not even baked to the point where we can put it out for the feedback. There's a few pieces that are still in play. First five renunciations came from that first five teachings. So I renounce the accuser of the brethren. I renounce his ways of self-elevation, lying, accusation, and faction-making. I renounce hiding my sins. I renounce unrepentance, and I renounce unforgiveness. Those renunciations came from that first five teachings of the series. 
So you can think of that as a little bit like the negative teachings. Here's what we're not going to do. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Then, last retreat, we started with a series of five on the positive sides of the commitment. Okay, here's what we're not going to do, what we're renouncing. What are we going to do as a community? What do we commit to? And those five things are, number one, prayer, which we talked about last time. Number two, reconciliation, which is today's topic. Number three, formation, spiritual formation. Number four, hospitality. And number five, work. So in a series of at least 10 teachings on <laughs> foundations of community, this is number seven, and we'll have the others next year. Does that make sense? Yes. So, so this is really an important time because the foundations laid correctly enable us to build community on top of that as the Lord gives us the ability. Okay? Does that make sense? Yes. All right. So today's topic is reconciliation, and I want to begin with the name of our community. The name of our community is Christ the Reconciler. This is, this is what we need to grasp today. This is all we need to grasp today. Jesus is the one who does reconciliation. He is the reconciler. This is all about him. If we start thinking it's about us, if we start saying the foundation of reconciliation is we know how to do it, we are off track. Woe to us. God gave us this name, Christ the Reconciler, and it needs to remain our foundational understanding of reconciliation. It is Christ who reconciles. We have no power for reconciliation. We can do all the steps, and it would mean nothing. If Christ is not involved, if Jesus is not at the center, then we're wasting our time, or even worse. So, I want to look at a few verses to make this clear. Romans 5.10, Jim. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Amen. Colossians 1, 21 through 22. And you, who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked words, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. Hallelujah. Who is it that reconciles us to God? Jesus Christ. Through his physical death, on the cross. We can't do it. There's no way. Only he can do it. And he has done it. So Christ is the one who reconciles us to God. Christ is the reconciler. That's the foundational reconciliation is man to God, us to God. It's not person to person, group to group. It's us to God. The, the key to everything. But Christ is also the key to reconciliation between people and between groups. Uh, Jace, Ephesians 2, 14 through 18. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross thereby killing the hostility and he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So this is a powerful <laughs> That was the Hebrews 5. D no it's really Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2, 14 through 18. Hello Dory. Welcome. 
powerful, deep verse that we could spend the whole day talking about just that one passage. But did you catch the centrality of Christ and the activity of Christ in the process of reconciling Jew to Gentile and making them one? Did you catch that? He himself is our peace. Through his physical death, he has reconciled us both to God, thus destroying the wall of hostility between each other, which is really important because our first reconciliation is to God, and the way that we're reconciled to each other is by both being reconciled to God. So the fundamental problem when you've got hostility between people is not between those people, it's between them and God. <laughs> That's the fundamental problem. And Christ comes to reconcile them to God and thus makes a way for them to be reconciled to each other. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. So, Christ the Reconciler. It's the name of our community. Let's hold on to this and cling to this truth as we go forward. Now, one thing that I think represents this is our logo. So this was created by Patrick Hamilton. I won't go into the story of the logo, but I just want you to look at it and just say a few, what do you see when you see this? This too, this too like our name, was given to us by God, I believe. What do you, just a few people, what, do you, what are the things that you see, what strikes you? The cross. The cross, yes. I see and the cross as an invitation, a doorway into through Christ. Through on, Christ. On yeah. the cross, there's a there's a light and there's a, a a world to be lived in Amen. through that cross. That's good. Yeah, that's what I, mean. I was yeah. thinking. I see him like reaching to grab the two hands of people, and like where you see in some icons of him grabbing hold of like Adam and Eve, and you know, like to right. be reconciled. Right, he's stretched between two. And kind of pulling them. It makes me think of Mariana talking about being in that place of, as a Messianic Jew between the Jewish people who don't believe in Jesus and the Christian people who think that Jews shouldn't be Jews. And she feels stretched between the two. So it's kind of this place of, of reconciliation. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Anything else? Um, I like to think that that is a dawn that he what a new day that he Amen. greets us into. Amen. Or perhaps a good sunset. <laughs> the actual, this was made from a photograph yes. that I took of the dawn out on the porch there. Yeah, so it's definitely a dawn and it speaks of the second coming too. You know, the morning star rising, the dawn of history. Anything else? It looks almost like fire at the bottom of his environment, mm -hmm. which makes me think of the Holy Spirit. I love it. It's I, I, I like it because it has Jesus on It's like, it's like a Catholic and Protestant cross. <laughs> which, by the way, is right here. <laughs> It's a it's a safe it's a safe Protestant. <laughs> but it's a what? You know, it's not symmetrical. Uh huh. Yeah, that's true. And then this was probably already said, but just with Christ out outstretched hands, also with the welcome. Yeah. You know, yeah. Both the name for an embrace. Yeah. But then there's also the cross. You don't get there without going. The Catholic and Venus. Come and die. from death into life. It makes mm. the keyhole. Like you peep through, you know, mm. you can yeah. peep through yeah. a keyhole. And, so yes. so, and in some ways, you're, you're getting a glimpse of that life beyond that everybody yeah. knows. It's like the uh, it's like the door in the last battle of Narnia. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. There's a door. Yeah. yeah. Good. It is an invitation to die. Yeah, it is. Which is the only way we can have a new life. Amen. Through death. Amen. So, these things going forward should remind us Christ the reconciled, this image. Let's, let's grasp onto this. And as Cheryl said, 
you know, in the Alleluia community, they're quick to encourage each other. <laughs> Sometimes that takes strength, strong encouragement, right? Like, you're doing this wrong. If we start losing this focus on Jesus, let's encourage each other. We need to reorient. Okay? Amen. Okay, so Christ is the reconciler. What is reconciliation? Well, this is another gift God has given to us, is an understanding of reconciliation. So back when we were Austin House of Prayer, we bought this place. We kept the name Austin House of Prayer, but we're wondering what do we call this building? We can't call it Austin House of Prayer if it's not in Austin. <laughs> We received the name Christ the Reconciler for the building that ended up becoming the name of our community. So we changed from Austin House of Prayer, which is about the place we're in and about us, if you think about it, to Christ the Reconciler, which is about <coughs> him. It was a very appropriate maturing of our identity. Christ the Reconciler, and we named it that, we got the website, and then one day, in 20, late 2014, I thought, wait a minute, is Christ the Reconciler even a biblical concept? I mean, it seems biblical, right? <laughs> but is it? So I did some research, and what came from that is the Foundations of Reconciliation series, which I think we're mostly familiar with. Hopefully, most of us have been through that series, remember it, live in it, and I hear words coming forth from the community that tells me it's taken root in our hearts and in our minds. We think about it. This is our language now, and it should be. So the core of that teaching I'm going to talk about now, um, it's a seven-part series. <laughs> so it's like the Prince's Bride. There is not time. <laughs> Let me sum up. <laughs> but I have a handout. Um, that hopefully will remind us. So the core of the Foundation of Reconciliation series is unity, hostility, and reconciliation. So what is unity? Unity is defined by God. It's not a human concept. It's defined by God, and it is a reality in the person of the Godhead. So unity is the unity of the Trinity. That is what unity is. And anyone that comes with a different definition or learns from a different place what unity is, there may be good things in it that, that effectively can be found in the Trinity, but if it's not rooted there, it's not unity. So, what does that look like? Well, there's some words on the left column that gives some pictures of that. And we're just going to look at a few of them with Bible verses to kind of say this is what this looks like, unfolded a little bit. Uh, we won't look at all of them. And this is not a comprehensive list. So actually, one that we're going to look at is not in the list. I just discovered this morning. So first one is attentiveness. I love this word, attentiveness. Attentiveness is part of unity. Jenny, can you read John 5, 19? Yes. To this charge, Jesus replied, In truth, in very truth I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees his Father doing. What the Father does, the Son does. So the son is attentive to the father. His eyes are on the father. He pays attention to the father. Okay. Next one is truth. Two down. Truth. So Jerry, Amy, you have Luke twenty-two forty-two. Father, if it is your will, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Great. So Jesus told the truth. He didn't pretend to the Father, oh, I'm really happy about going to the cross, and, you know, I'm good. <laughs> he sweated drops of blood. He cried out to his Father. He told him, I don't really want to do this. 
That's a statement of the truth. Jesus told the truth. Okay, next one is not in there, but there's dot, 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 which are nice because it says there's more stuff to go here. The next one is submission. Hebrews 5, 7 through 10, Cheryl. This is an amazing passage, by the way, that Cheryl's about to read. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him and was designate, designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. So there's a lot there I won't go into, but did you catch the reverent submission? The son is submitted to the father. All right, one of my favorites, joy. There's joy in the Trinity. Part of unity is joy. Now this passage that I'm going to introduce a little bit of this passage Diane's going to read from, it's the, in the book of Proverbs, it's about wisdom. Okay, now wisdom is the Holy Spirit. That's the, the traditional understanding. When it's spoken of wisdom in the Old Testament, that's the Holy Spirit. So let's learn about the Holy Spirit. Diane, mm -hmm. can you read to us Proverbs 8, 30 through 31? Mm -hmm. Then I was beside him as a master craftsman, and I was daily, and these are capital hymns, and I was daily at his, daily his delight, rejoicing always before him, rejoicing in his inhabited world, and my delight was with the sons of men. So this whole passage is about creation, and it says the Holy Spirit during creation was just ecstatic with the Father. They were delighting together. They were enjoying each other. They were enjoying what they were making. There was delight and joy that flowed back and forth and still flow in the Trinity. And of course, there's more verses that we could go into in each one of these, but we're just going to go there. Okay, last one, John Patrick, John 849. This is honor, which is a little further down. Honor. We got the wrong translation. You may have the wrong verse. I'm looking at it. Oh, yeah. 8.49. Sorry. That was 7.49. We love you, John. I'm sure it was good, too. Jesus answered, I am not a demon, but I honor my father. And ye do dishonor, and ye do dishonor him, me. I seek not mine own glory. There is one that seeketh and judgeth. Verily, verily, I say unto you, if a man keep my saying, he shall never see death. That's enough. So, the son honors the father. There's honor there, and in the full unity of the Trinity teaching that Amy did, she talks about a dream she had that showed the honor of the Father to the Son. It's just a really beautiful picture that is given to you. So, unity, these are good things. I mean, don't you want to live in relationships ca ca characterized by attentiveness to each other, truthfulness with each other, joy, submission, and honor? That's good. These are not our, how our relationships are typically characterized. In other words, we don't normally live in that place of unity. That's our goal, that's our destiny, but we live in this middle passage, which is hostility. So for every one of those ways that unity is expressed in the Trinity, we men have perverted it and come up with a counter hostility that we express to one another. And this is what we live in. Now, I don't think I need to go through these because we see it all around us in the world, right? Who doesn't see hostility expressed in a daily, hourly way? If you, if you don't and you want to, just go on Facebook. <laughs> Seriously, hostility runs rampant on social media. Look at these words. These are things that you see all the time. So we have, we're called to the unity of the Trinity, but we live in hostility. Woe is us. 
Oh, who will save us from this body of death, right? There's good news. There is a way that, that we can restore unity out of hostility. That way is called reconciliation. How do we know this? We learn this from the New Testament. So, if you remember the three verses that were read earlier, Romans 5.10, while we were yet enemies, that word is the Greek word hostility, while we were hostile to God, Christ reconciled us to his death on the cross. Colossians 1.21, while we were hostile in our mind to God, Christ reconciled us. Ephesians 2, 14 through 18. Jesus put to death the dividing wall of hostility between Jew and Gentile. So the problem is not division. This is the kind of revelation of that Foundations of Reconciliation series. Before that, if you'd asked me, what does reconciliation address? I would have said division. The problem is division. The answer is reconciliation. The New Testament says, no, the problem is hostility. This is really important because division is ordained by God. Divert, think of it in terms of diversity. Division in the sense that it's not uniform. It's not oneness doesn't mean the same thing exactly like the board. If you remember the old Star Trek world. Diversity is a good thing. It's ordained by God. The persons of the Trinity somehow mystically are not the same. The Father is not the Son. This is, I think, the Athanasian Creed goes into this in great depth. The Son is not the Father. The Spirit is not the Son. So, but they're one. And so the problem is not that we have Baptists and Catholics. The problem is that we have hostility between Baptists and Catholics. Does this make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. So we grieve the hostility, but God has given a way for the hostility to be removed and the wounds to be repaired, and that way it's called reconciliation. So at the top of the page, there's a definition that's the core of the Foundations of Reconciliation series. Reconciliation is a series of actions that removes hostility in a relationship. This always happens in relationship. Unity is about relationship. Hostility is about relationship. Removes hostility in a relationship, repairs the damage it caused, and restores the God-intended unity. So God intends unity. Now, the unity God intends is not false unity. There's this idea of false unity out there, and that is potentially another teaching in the future because it's important to address. But the unity of the Trinity is what we're after. This is not false unity. It's the most real thing in the universe and beyond, the unity of the Trinity. So God intends this not only in himself, but with us, with us and among us. John 17, 21, Jesus prayed, right? All of our actions, the five actions that we're committing to are rooted in John 17. And the most profound statement of reconciliation and unity is John 17, 21. Father, make them one as you and I are one. So the unity of the Trinity, Jesus is praying, make them look like this. It's a mind-blowing prayer. But Jesus prayed it so we can confidently go in that direction. Okay, so God intends unity. We brought hostility. Kind of moving up in this. We're going backwards in this. But reconciliation removes that hostility out of the relationship. But there's damage that has been done. I mean, we all experience this, right? Words hurt and they leave wounds. So you can stop saying the hurtful words, but there's still wounds that have been caused by the hostility that need to be healed. So reconciliation is the process of repairing this damage, of healing and restoring what God intended all along. And then moving up to the top line, it's a series of actions. Oh, wow, it's not just an idea. It's something that you do. And so that's the second half of this page. So if you flip over, reconciliation is a series of actions. And what are those actions? Well, let's walk through them. Now, there's many good teachings on the actions of reconciliation. 
This is kind of how we framed it ourselves. Um, and we put it in our logo on purpose to remember that Christ is the, is the key to each one of these. Because when we say Christ the reconciler, that Christ is the one who reconciles, one temptation is to say that absolves us of any responsibility. We just let him do it. We'll uh, watch football and eat popcorn, and when he does it, that'll be great. No, we are invited in to the ministry of reconciliation. I think I skipped that passage from 2 Corinthians 5. But we're invited in because he does it. He asks us to partner with us and he makes us ministers of reconciliation. So we have responsibility and our responsibility is kind of encapsulated in these actions. So at the top I have pray. If you can't do anything else, <laughs> you can pray. There may be times or situations or relationships where any other action that's on this list is impossible for now. But prayer is always possible. So praying is first. Second is go. Okay, so Amy, can you read Matthew 5, just 23, not through 26? Um, therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. So, if you remember that your brother has something against you. So here, you're the offender. You've offended somebody else. And you realize, oh, I've offended somebody else. What do you do? You go. Go. Now, what about the other situation where someone has offended you? Matthew 18, just the first part probably. If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. Um. Good. There's more there, but the point of this is if you are the offended one, then you go too. If you're the offender, you go. If you're the offended one, you go. So this means in a healthy community, people are always going to each other, <laughs> right? We should be bumping into each other. Oh, I was coming to you. Oh, I was coming to you. <laughs> I sense tension in this relationship, but, you know, let's make it right. But the fact that Jesus told each they have the responsibility to go is like, is like a, you'll appreciate this, Jim, a redundant system. Oh. <laughs> Hopefully one of the two will obey. <laughs> right? All right, go. Next, listen. So when you go, don't go accusing. You did this to me. Okay. There's a lot of wisdom about how to do this well. We don't have time to go into, but I'll give you two points. Number one, use I and not you. It's very different to say, I sense that you have something against me. As opposed to, you have something against me. Very different. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. Use I language, not you. Second, ask questions. Don't make statements. I sense you have something against me. Do you have something against me? Is there a reason I'm feeling this? And that gives the other person the ability to say, no, I just had a really bad day, and I'm sorry I took it out on you. I have nothing against you. Or, well, actually, yes. The other day when you came and you said this to me, it really hurt my feelings. Whatever. So, I statements, Ask questions, that's a key part of listening. And then just listen, just listen. This world does not listen anymore. We've lost the ability to listen. It's much easier just to post it on Facebook. <laughs> lament, so lament, you can grieve the division. This is a little bit like prayer. Even if you can't do anything else, you can grieve the fact that there's a rift in this relationship. And then repent. So I won't say anything about that except go listen to Marisha's teaching on the gift of repentance. It's very good, very powerful, and we have to be a people of repentance. Quick to repent. All right. Next, forgiveness. So it's a two-way street, right? We've got repentance and we've got forgiveness. So we need to be a people who forgives those who are repenting to us 
for something they've done that's been hostile to us. What is forgiveness? Well, there's, a, once again, a lot we could talk about here, but, and there's a teaching on forgiveness in the first section of this series, but I just want to say, forgiveness does not minimize the wrong. When you're forgiving them, you're not saying, oh, it was nothing. Don't, I, I'm not even going to pay attention to that. Let's pretend it didn't exist. That's not forgiveness. God does not pretend our sin doesn't exist. He understands the horror of our sin and the consequences and the terrible implications of them. So forgiveness does not minimize that. Forgiveness is a release of the right to take revenge. So we want to hold on to the right to take revenge, right? I forgive that person, but I sure hope they suffer. That's not forgiveness. When you forgive, you're releasing the right to take revenge. Now, when you do that, you're not actually releasing. You're not saying, I hope there is no vengeance. You don't have to say that. All you have to say is, God, I give you the permission to take vengeance as you see fit. You're trusting God with vengeance. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. All right? Does that make sense? There's a lot more that can be said there, but once again, just some kind of keys here. Release the right to take revenge. Forgive the person. And don't minimize what was done. Make it right. Oh, this is a, this is a tricky one. <laughs> this is one we don't want to go to. <laughs> so after forgiveness, there's a step to ask the person, what can I do to make it right? Oftentimes there's tangible things that can be done that are part of the restoration of the relationship and the healing of the wounds. So this is a hot button topic in our society right now because the word called reparations. Mm -hmm. Reparations is what we're talking about here, making it right. How do you make it right? Reparations, the root of that is repair, which is in our definition. Repairs the damage. So I'm not saying that the political idea of reparations is necessarily you know, what always right, but I'm saying the core of that thought how do we make this right is really important for us to grapple with as a nation. And in our relationships, it's important to grapple with as a people that is doing reconciliation one to another. Okay? One thing that, that some, a pastor told me once, he said, when I tell this, oftentimes I'm telling this to young men who have offended their wives, and they're asking me how to do reconciliation, and I say, well, after you've, she's forgiven you, ask her, what can I do to make it right? And they're always like, oh my goodness, I'm really scared to do that. Because she's going to do, she's going to say, okay, X, then you need to be always doing dishes and you, you know, kind of have this list and, you know, the young men are scared. He says, just try it. Come back and tell me what happened. Yeah, they come back and inevitably he said, they say, she didn't do any of that. She was so blown away by the fact that I asked. She said, well, why don't you just do this thing that's relatively simple. So don't let fear of what could happen when you ask that question prevent you from asking the question. Okay? All right, once again, there's a lot we can talk about on all these topics, but the last one is celebrate. Reconciliation feels great. <laughs> it's really, really good. And the world loves it. There's so many movies about reconciliation. I mean, Home Alone is a movie about reconciliation. It really is. The man who is the kind of yeah. sinister figure, Makalke Kirk Colkin, the little boy, encourages him to do what? Yeah. Go. Go. Call your son. Right? And in the end of the movie, that's the climax of the movie, is yeah. when the father and the son are reconciled. And it's what makes that a great movie. What the movie was about. Yeah. So, just one example. The world loves reconciliation. Reconciliation is celebratory. We experienced this in Wittenberg. All right, and then the ending, I just have glory down there. Now, what's that glory? Two things. One is, reconciliation is itself glorious, right? It's a glorious thing. But 
it also sets the stage for future glory. Because in the end, all reconciliation does is bring us back to the point we should have been at the beginning. And we go forward from there. So God has things for us to do. We've broken our relationships so we can't do them. When we restore our relationships, that just gives us the ability to then build the kingdom as a united people. So reconciliation is not the goal. God's glory is the goal. Reconciliation is a sometimes necessary pathway in order to reach the goal of God's glory. All right, actions, hopefully that makes sense. You can go listen. There's a more full teaching on this that's online. Um, series of actions. Okay, one more part, and then we're going to have some time to talk about this because it's important to talk about it. Uh, and the last part is, the whole point of this teaching is what are we committing to as a community? When the community commitment says, I commit to reconciliation, what does that mean? So, here is another handout. So, five renunciations we talked about. Look at the five commitments. Um, as individuals, couples and families, and a community, we agree to be faithful to these five practices. And the number two is reconciliation. Now, what does that mean? Well, it's helpful to think back to the teaching on prayer. Because we talked about, blessings here, we talked about in prayer, okay, we all have our individual personal prayer lives, right? That needs to be in place as a foundation. We need to be praying together as families and as married couples. That needs to be in place as a community. Then we need to pray together as a community. We talked about bridge prayer and kind of the prayer room and the vision for that. And then as a community, we also sometimes engage in externally focused prayer, like Global Day of Prayer or the Unceasing Prayer Movement. So we have those four kind of levels, if you want to call them levels, individual marriages and families as a community and rather among our community and then as a community going outward. Same thing for reconciliation. So number one, first commitment is to be reconciled to God. Well, I'm saved. I'm reconciled to God. Yes, there's truth in that. Salvation is an event of reconciliation with God. Before that, we were lost, and now we're found. Hallelujah. So it's an event, but it's also a process. Because as we offend God again, we need to come to God and be reconciled to God again through the cross. So this practice of personal reconciliation needs to be something we commit to when we make this community commitment. Now, I just want to honor the Catholics in our midst because the Catholic Church has a wonderful sacrament of reconciliation and they do this well. They go, they go again and again and again and participate in the process of reconciliation to God with a priest. Praise the Lord. What's Something the, we the Protestants do. It's, the, the, the rule is that if you commit a sin, that uh, you, you intentionally do something you know that is wrong, then that requires reconciliation. You can go to reconciliation as well for you know, um, the habitual habits and things like that. But if you intentionally do something that you know is a sin, then you need to go to reconciliation. And that's different from confession. No, it's the same. It's oh, the same. It's the same thing. Yeah. And you shouldn't take the Eucharist if you're in a state where you have done that and you haven't gone to confession. So, reconciliation is individuals. Secondly, marriages. The enemy is going to attack our marriages. The more we press into this commitment to be a community of reconciliation, the more the enemy is going to come against our marriages and our families. So, reconciliation in our households between husband and wife, fathers, mothers and children. This is really crucial. I won't say a lot about this, but just this needs to be front and center in our commitment. We're reconciled to God. We stay reconciled to each other as a married couple and as a family. Number three is the one I want to spend the most time on. And that is among us as a community. What does this mean? Well, we're learning what this means. 
One way we learn what this means is we visit the Bruder and we visit the Alleluia community, and we hear from Marisha and Angie, and we, from people who've walked these paths, they help us understand what does it mean. And so from what we've learned from others, there's this key concept that has come forth that we've made now part of our community commitment. Direct address. What does that mean? So we have a, on the sheet this, and uh, can someone read the first paragraph and then someone else the second paragraph? Caroline and Philip. Caroline, can you read the first paragraph and Philip the second? The relationships within the Trinity are those of openness, honor, and mutual submission. When they speak about one another, it is with truth and affection. When they address each other, they are honest, direct, and affirming. When we take our seat at the table of the Trinity, we increasingly become the kinds of people who relate to one another in these ways. Accordingly, all of my words to and about other community members will be salted with honor, will speak the truth in love, and will graciously receive the truth spoken in love to me. Whenever I sense there may be tension between me and another community member, will not hesitate to use the way of direct address taught by Christ. So that last sentence is really key. Whenever I sense there may be tension between myself and another community member, I will not hesitate to use the way of direct address. So if we go back to that image of the cross, where does the enemy stop the process of reconciliation? It's usually at the go stage. That's usually where the battle occurs. Oh, it's not a big deal. I don't think they really meant it that way. Or, you know, I think it's better if I just forget about it. That doesn't happen. It gets lodged in your spirit. Until you go and the hostility is removed and the damage is repaired, it's there. And of course, as we all know, it gets built upon, right? <laughs> to the point where you might be in an argument with someone, you say, well, 10 years ago, you said this to me. Where did that come from? It came from the fact that that was not dealt with 10 years ago. And so it stays in there and becomes part of this bitterness that builds up and builds up. So this is saying when we sense tension, go. Now, is the tension real? It may not be. It may just be something we sense. Right? And that's great. It's cleared up. You, move, you come to understand that. Or it might be real. And in which case, it needs to be follow the process of reconciliation. But I want to encourage us to err on the side of direct address. Especially as we're learning how to be a community together. And so along those lines, you just might want to reemphasize that this is for we're talking about within community. Of course, mm -hmm. there are times when it's totally appropriate to address um, an issue with people outside our community or even outside you know, our, our shared faith. However, um, there are times that it's best not to as well. Yes, that's a really crucial point. So when those of us who, who take this community commitment next year are giving each other permission to come and do this. Right? So there's no question of, do I have permission to do this? Because we've committed to do it. We're giving each other permission. If it's somebody that hasn't given that permission, there needs to be real wisdom about how to respond. Okay? It's not intuitively, I always do this. There may be times when you're not able to do that. The person can't receive it. Okay? But when we make this community commitment, this is the point of the talk today, when we make this community commitment, we're giving each other permission. If somebody comes and says, hey, I'm sensing tension and I feel like I, you, I've offended you or you've offended me, you receive that, what does it say? I will graciously receive the truth spoken in love. So you're committing to receive that and to engage in the process. Does that make sense? And I'm sure there's a thousand what ifs, right? We could come up with scenarios. We're just going to hit these as we go along. But the core of it is we are committing to this way of direct address that Christ has taught. And from everything I've learned from any community that's been successful, this is key. 
if you don't get this right, you know, it's eventually the enemy's going to get in and split and destroy the community. Any questions there? We'll have a little bit more time to talk about it, but before I go on, I just want to make sure I'm, I'm communicating clearly. Okay, good. One last thing to say, and then we can just talk more about this um, before lunch. And that is, we also commit to be ministers of reconciliation as a community. So these, this is lived out in several different ways. One is just individually. Be a minister of reconciliation where you're at. I mean, I remember Diana's story of you telling me, you know, when we were talking about identification or repentance and you were in a restaurant and there was a person there and you felt like you, the Lord was calling you to, and you just walked up and had this conversation with them, a stranger. So that's an example of being a minister of reconciliation. Um, then there's times when as a community, we commit to an initiative of reconciliation. So obviously the best example of that is Wittenberg 2017. We committed as a community to participate in this international initiative of reconciliation. And I suspect there will be more other reconciliation initiatives the Lord has, will call us to be a part of. We don't know what those are, okay? But there's stirrings. I think Keith Blank's word is a good stirring in that direction, right? All right, so let me just repeat what I've said and then we can discuss. Number one, Christ is the reconciler. We've got to hold on to that through all this. If we focus on the actions of reconciliation that I do, we're lost. If we remember Christ is the reconciler and we're called to walk with him in this process, then we'll see through. Okay, number one. Number two, reconciliation is a series of actions that remove hostility, repair the damage that has been done, and restore the unity God intends. Number two. All that is rooted in the unity of the Trinity, which is just a beautiful thing. And number three, as a community, when we commit to this community commitment, we're committing to, to pursue reconciliation in our relationships with the Lord, in our relationships with our family, our husband and wife, and amongst ourselves, and as a community. So this is kind of the foundational piece of reconciliation uh, that builds on prayer. And next we'll talk about formation. All these are interrelated.